tonight we're not going to focus on that. That's not what this text addresses. There are texts that address that, but Peter often addresses suffering as believers, as exiles, in much the same way that we saw Daniel suffer during our study through the book of Daniel. And so when we think of suffering in this capacity, uh, uh, before we get into the text, one more thing I want to point out is that this, the statistics on suffering or specifically persecution in the church today are staggering, staggering. And when we think of persecution, we tend to disassociate from it. We tend to go, well, Christians in other places are persecuted. But if we are the body of Christ and Christ is our head and any part of the body is being persecuted, then we are being persecuted. The church is being persecuted. Statistics are staggering. I looked this up, most recent statistics. 13 Christians have been killed per day in 2021 in countries where it is illegal to be a Christian. Over 50 countries. 13 Christians per day, which comes out to just short of 400 believers per month. So persecution is real, and we are persecuted. I'll show you a picture. Show you a picture of five, five brothers. These are pastors. This picture was taken by Boko Haram just before each man was shot in the back of the head execution style. These are our brothers. Christ is the head. We are the church. This is very recent. So we're persecuted. Look at their faces. We are persecuted. Okay, not they are persecuted. Not Nigerian Christians are persecuted. You understand? Not Iranian Christians are persecuted. Not Christians in certain parts of the world that will never go and don't speak their language. No, the church of Jesus Christ is persecuted. And at least in these five instances, here's the face of that persecution. These are our brothers. We are knit together through the blood of Jesus to these, to these brothers. Okay, so, so I want you to see that persecution is a real thing. Now, three things by way of introduction that we do know. Here's what we know. Every Christian will suffer to some, degree, to some degree for Jesus' sake. Every Christian will suffer to some degree for Jesus' sake. And for most of us, that's simply going to be ridicule. Ridicule is probably what most of us are going to face. Second thing we know is this. Some Christians will suffer and die, suffer and die for Jesus' sake. They'll pay the ultimate price for following Jesus. And number three, some... And all of us need to understand that Jesus will give us the courage and grace to endure whatever suffering we face and even to forgive those who persecute us. Jesus will give us the grace and the courage to endure whatever suffering we face and even to forgive those who persecute us. So let's get into the text. And as we walk through the text, we're going to go verse by verse. I want to consider six observations on suffering persecution in the text. The big picture for us that I want you to focus on is kind of thematic as we go through this is the use of the word glory. You'll often see this in Scripture. The glory of God is, 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 is directly connected to suffering. So three times Peter's actually going to make this connection in verses 12, 13, 14, and 16. He's going to connect suffering and glory. So as we walk through it, let's think, that, let's think about suffering for Jesus' sake and name. This is not general suffering. So for instance, a lot of people in our congregation have suffered in the last couple of weeks. Uh, we've had several COVID cases. 
Uh, Miss Diane's been in the hospital. Tom had a motorcycle wreck, and we prayed over that. There's, there's, there's current suffering. Specifically, what we're going to look at tonight is suffering for our witness. That's what Peter's addressing. And he's addressing it in the context of a Roman Empire that generally gave people religious freedom until that religious freedom threatened the power structure. Do you get that? So the Roman Empire was not just was not diabolically and diametrically opposed to Christianity until it threatened the power structure. Until Christians were contending or, or, or until the, the, the affection and the worship of Christians was going over against seeing Caesar as king, but not only as king, as God. Okay, so, so this is the context that Peter's writing in. So let's begin in verse 12. Beloved, so he's speaking to Christians, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. First observation is this, don't be surprised when you suffer for being a Christian. Don't be, don't be surprised by this. It's like, don't be shocked. Don't be taken off guard. Consider the difference we talked about between suffering in general versus suffering for Christ. Everyone's going to suffer in this life. Now, what we will find is that for Christians, oftentimes we're going to have to go through suffering, not around suffering. We have to go through suffering. So a lot of times we've got to go through the suffering. There's no way around it. As Christians, however, we do not suffer without hope. In fact, our testimony will shine brightest to the world when we endure hardship, persecution, and suffering. We suffer uniquely from non-believers. Whether this comes in the form of ridicule or persecution, we suffer uniquely. Peter had said back in, in chapter 1, verse 6, you remember he referred to various trials. And then he lays out different aspects of trials and suffering that we might face. There may be seasons in, in life when the Christians that Peter was writing, writing to would lack provision, power, position, protection, and even a sense of permanence in this world. This is the idea of being exiles. We don't have protection. We don't have power. They were, they were a powerless people. They did not live in a society that protected them as Christians. They were not the majority. They did not have representatives in the House or Senate who were believers. They did not have a voice of, of, uh, for the Christian in the Roman Senate. So persecution was going to be a normal reality for them. It's going to be a normal reality for them. For us, the believers should not be surprised when persecution and public ridicule come. Okay, number two, let's go to verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So in verses 13 and 14, the second thing we see is that we are to rejoice when we suffer because we're sharing in the sufferings of Christ. We've already examined this closely a couple weeks ago. So we share in the sufferings of Jesus, and this should bring us joy. This is not random suffering, but suffering for the name of Jesus and for the gospel. The glory of Jesus will one day be revealed to everyone, but for the one who has suffered in Jesus' name, that will be a day of celebration and rejoicing. We see these beautiful pictures in Scripture where, where those who lay down their lives for the gospel are going to experience great celebration in the kingdom. And so we have that future hope. 
We also were promised by Jesus. He told us in John 15, if you go there and read verses 18 through 21, he explained to his followers, he said, the world, they hate me, and so they're going to hate you. If I suffer, you should expect to suffer. If I suffer, you should expect to suffer. So we should expect to suffer for the name of Jesus. And even in the face of insult and ridicule, the Christian receives a blessing by the presence of the Spirit of God continuing and constant in his life. So in suffering, we're not alone. In fact, it has been testified by millions of Christians who have suffered that in the moment of their greatest trial and suffering, they feel an overwhelming sense of the Lord's presence. Overwhelming. If you've ever wondered and thought about, man, I wonder if I would, like, I wonder if I had the gun put to my head and would I, would I stand firm? Yeah, you would. If your faith is authentic, yes, you would. Because Jesus, his Holy Spirit in you will give you what you need in that moment to suffer well and to suffer, suffer faithfully. And the key word in this verse, I love in these two verses, 13 and 14, is you are blessed. He says that we're blessed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ in verse 14, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. We receive the spirit of glory and the spirit of God in suffering. And verse 14 promises that blessing comes in the face of insult and persecution. The spirit of God will rest on us and empower us in those moments. There's amazing testimonies of this. I remember um, back in the... Um, this was in the early 2000s. A lot of us read the, the book um, that Richard Wormbrand, who's the founder of Voice of the Martyrs, he had written a book called Tortured for Christ. And then he, he elaborated and wrote several other books that went into more detail. And he would talk about how when he was in a Soviet prison in Romania, at one point he got down under 100 pounds. So he's suffering physically. And he talked about the feeling the constant presence of the Lord, the constant feeling that the Spirit of God was empowering him to endure what people cannot naturally endure physically. He gave testimony to the presence of the Lord. Verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. <laughs> That's so funny. Like, okay, don't be a murderer. Don't be a thief. Don't be an evildoer. And mind your own business. <laughs> Probably most Christians are going to struggle with that one in the end, you know. Like, like, don't, like don't meddle in people's business. I just want to know. I just want to know. Some, some, some of us, I'll lump myself in with you. I'm not going to preach at you. Some of us love the nitty-gritty, the details. Wonder what's going on over there. Wonder what's happening in their relationship. Wonder what's happening over there. Like, don't meddle. Don't, like, if you suffer for meddling, that's on you. If you suffer because you stole some stuff, that's on you. Like, like in the Roman Empire, if, if, if somebody was embezzling money from work and went to jail, they couldn't, they couldn't be like, oh, man, I'm just suffering for Jesus. No, you're suffering because you're not supposed to steal stuff. You know, like Jesus is cool with your prison sentence right now. So, so recognizing the, he's, he's drawing a distinction. This is a specific kind of suffering. So the third observation in verse 15 is don't suffer for doing evil. Don't suffer for doing evil. And, and, and I think it's worth noting that in certain judicial systems, and the Roman system was maybe one of these, there were certain prejudices against people where the measurement, like, like the penalty for, for your crime would not necessarily match the crime. So you, in one sense, you're suffering injustice, 
But like, like that's why in our society, in our system, in our judicial system, we have a provision and protection against what we call cruel and unusual punishment. When somebody steals, we don't cut their hands off like what is practiced in, under Sharia law. Okay, so, so don't suffer because you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. That's an observation that Peter's pointing out. Those who follow Jesus should live above reproach. We should never suffer just because we have brought it on ourselves through defiance or disobedience. King David thought about this, a man after God's own heart. He committed the horrible act of murder multiple times to cover up the horrible act of adultery. A bunch of people suffered for that. He brought it on himself and he brought it on his family. So don't suffer for doing evil. Verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Don't be ashamed, Red Oak. To be honest, the suffering most of us will face is going to come in the form of ridicule, mocking. When we suffer for Jesus' sake, we should do so boldly. We should do so confidently. We should do so willingly. But we should do so in order that Jesus be made much of in our suffering. Don't be ashamed to believe that the Bible is the word of God inspired and written by the Holy Spirit. Don't be ashamed to believe in the virgin birth. It's through the virgin birth that Jesus, fully God, became truly human, God in the flesh. Don't be ashamed to trust in the substitutionary work of Jesus who bore our sins in his body on the cross, which we celebrated tonight in the taking of the elements. Don't be ashamed to trust in that. Don't be ashamed when intellectuals and entertainers make fun of us. Don't be ashamed to stand in the workplace or the classroom as a follower of Jesus. Don't be ashamed to share the gospel knowing that it's the power of God and salvation to everyone who believes. Don't be ashamed to adhere to a biblical view of sexuality rather than a worldly and secular view. Don't be ashamed that our theology doesn't mesh with the philosophy of a secular world that preaches and teaches everything from socialism to humanism to hedonism and does so in an absolute rejection of the lordship and authority of Jesus. Don't be ashamed to speak the truth in love. Don't be ashamed to raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Don't be ashamed to speak out against that which God calls evil. Don't be ashamed to put your faith and your trust in the future reign of the Lord Jesus and in the kingdom that he is building that will never end. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Verse 17 says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? We need to be prepared to meet the Lord. It's fifth observation. Be prepared to meet the Lord. We're going to meet. Listen, y'all, everybody going to meet Jesus? We're going first. Like, all right, we got, we got, like, we know the gospel. We've surrendered our lives to Jesus. If you're a Christian, you have surrendered your life to Jesus You've laid down your life. Tonight, we're going to baptize. And when we baptize, how awesome in one night, we're going to celebrate both ordinances in the church. And when we baptize, what we're saying, that person that goes into the waters is confessing this. Jesus is Lord. What's your confession? That Jesus is Lord. Don't be ashamed of that, but be prepared to meet the Lord. These, these two verses, 17 or 18, are challenging. But think about Two biblical principles and teachings that can encourage and instill 
confidence. Two things that help us put 17 and 18 in context. This idea of meeting the Lord and being judged by God. What does it look like? Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So while we will be judged, we will not face condemnation because we stand before God clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Listen, if you think you're going to heaven based on your church membership or the fact that you got sprinkled as a kid or dunked as a middle schooler or based on the fact that your mama was a Pentecostal holiness preacher or your great-granddaddy handled snakes up here at the head of Alarchy, like what, like doesn't matter what anybody else, else has done when you and I stand before the Lord, I will give an account for what I've done with Jesus. What do you do with Jesus? Stand before God, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, having confessed him as Lord and believed in your heart, God raised him from the dead. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. The Lord, however, will often use the process of pruning to cut away the dead branches in our lives. His discipline can be very uncomfortable at times, but always is driven by his love and his plan to shape us into the image of Jesus. Sometimes the Lord's going to shape us and discipline us in this life. And that is meant to help us further prepare to meet our Savior. Because we're going to meet God one day. Verse 19, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good the sixth and final observation is this commit yourself to the lord who is faithful commit yourself afresh and anew every day to the lord who is faithful this verse sums it all up and drives it home when we suffer for the name of jesus because we are faithful followers of jesus we can trust the lord in that you got some of you got family members who are like uh are not happy with your decision to follow jesus might face ridicule from family or co-workers. When we, when we commit ourselves to the Lord, we're committing ourselves to the one who is faithful. Listen, y'all, he begins the work in us. He will be faithful to complete that work. He'll be faithful to the end. When we suffer for the name of Jesus, because we are faithful followers of Christ, we can trust the Lord in that. Jesus has promised us that he will never leave us or forsake us. We should not be surprised or ashamed. We can trust ourselves to the plan that God has for each of us. And just as Romans 8 begins with a promise that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, it ends with an equally wonderful promise that God will never leave us. Listen to this. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation 
will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what those five dudes believe. They, they lay their lives down for that. We're being conformed and shaped into the image of Jesus in all things we face. We can know that nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Remember that a while back there was a, this was, I think this was in 2017, may have been further back than that. It was a group of Egyptian Christians and they were marched out in the, onto the beach in those orange jumpsuits. I think there were 21 of them and they were each beheaded by a member of ISIS. And I watched in preparing this sermon, I watched several videos on, the, on those Christians who have been persecuted around the world. And I watched a couple of interviews of wives of those men. And those wives just held their head up and said, my husband died for the name of Jesus. And in that moment, when you go and watch that film, it's amazing the peace that rests on the face of those men. Jesus will be with us no matter what, and nothing will separate us from his love. And even death is just the doorway that he's already walked through that we're going to walk through to be with him eternally. So here's some promises to hold on to when we're insulted. Because in reality, most of us are just going to face insult and ridicule. Here's some promises to hold on to when we are insulted. Jesus will not leave us. Jesus is not going to leave you. He's not going to leave you alone. He's not going to forsake you. He's not going to walk away from you. He'll be with us. Jesus suffered and said that those who follow after him will suffer for his sake. And think about that, for his sake. And we looked again at this a couple weeks ago, the idea of identifying with Christ in suffering. When we suffer for Jesus, we will receive a reward from him. Okay, so that's the uh, promises to hold, hold on to. This is important. I'm not numbering these, but I want to I pause there. That was the fourth promise. When we suffer for Jesus, we will receive a reward for him, from him. I want to pause there because the fifth one is, is, I like this, rewards are fun. going to get a reward like Jesus is going to give us a reward like that's crazy to me to think he's done everything all like even the work of saving us and he's going to give us a reward and if we suffer he'll give us the crown of life the crown of righteousness to lay down at his feet it's a wonderful reality when like when somebody's giving you a hard time for being a Christian you just sit there and grin and be like just ching, 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 racking them up, racking them up, racking them up. We'll have something to offer back to Jesus when you stand before him. Here's what we know. Again, this was in the introduction. I want to come back to this. Here's what we know. Every Christian will suffer to some degree for Jesus' sake. Every Christian will suffer to some degree for Jesus' sake. For most of us, that's going to be ridicule and insult. Some Christians will suffer and die for Jesus' sake. And Jesus will give them the grace and the courage in that moment. Jesus will give us the courage and grace to endure whatever suffering we face and even forgive those who persecute us. Now, final thought that I think is important. Don't suffer for being obnoxious. Suffer for being faithful. Don't suffer for being obnoxious suffer for being faithful if you take if you get blasted because you're being obnoxious on facebook 
That's called meddling, and we already addressed that. Okay? <laughs> like, like, let's be a light in a dark world. Let's shine the truth and the hope and the light of the gospel and trust that God's going to use our witness to show the kindness of God to other people, to drop it. It's like his kindness is what leads us to repentance, right? That's what the scripture teaches. And so we don't all have to, like, like we don't have to go to war over every social issue, especially when they have nothing to do with advancing the gospel, advancing the kingdom, defending and protecting the innocent. Well, they don't have anything to do with those. If, like, like if it's just a political opinion, don't meddle. Like, but like we got bigger things to worry about. Don't suffer for being obnoxious. Suffer for being faithful. And the Lord will empower you in that moment to suffer well. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that tonight as we have considered and continue to consider such a weighty uh, reality that the church, your church, your bride is persecuted. We are persecuted. We're persecuted for your sake. Lord Jesus, we, your, your scripture says that as even as we read tonight, that all day long your people are led like sheep to be slaughtered. God, that happens even now at, at, at an astronomical rate. Millions and millions and millions of Christians have laid on their lives and died for the name of Jesus. And most, if not all of them, died with the name of Jesus on their lips. I pray that we would understand what incredible courage was supplied and provided in those moments by the Holy Spirit and that we would be encouraged then to take a stand for Jesus, to stand gently but firmly, recognizing that grace has a backbone, but to be your witnesses and to stand for truth and to know that we're in a world that is hostile toward you and so we'll be blessed when they're hostile toward us for your sake. Help us to understand the difference. Help us to see where, what it looks like to, to just love you well, follow you, be obedient to you, and not just to be obnoxious for the sake of being opinionated or loud, but to, to be firm and to be strong and to be able to smile at those that persecute us and bless them with prayers and be a light in that dark moment. Help us, I pray. God, I pray for those that we know who are persecuted. I think of our brother, Amir, in central part of Africa, who, as we followed his story over the last year and a half, has suffered terribly over the last two and a half years now, suffered greatly, has suffered incredible persecution, but has seen the church flourish and explode. And help us to realize what the early church father Tertullian said when he wrote that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And I pray that the church would continue to flourish and we would do our part in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.